0: Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Time to get out of the cold and hit Orlando for Dev Intersection? What?
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's right. March 25th to 28th at the Swan Hotel in Orlando for another great Dev Intersection. All your favorites are going to be there, including Scott Guthrie and Scott Hanselman.
0: Ah, the greater and lesser Scott. Yes. And if SQL is your thing, Paul Randall and Kim Tripp are, as usual, running an awesome set of SQL sessions.
1: And this year at Dev Intersection, we have a special emphasis on new artificial intelligence technologies, including deep learning, cognitive services, and more.
0: And of course, all the latest web tech, Angular, C Sharp, Visual Studio, all your favorites. So go to devint.netrocks.com right
1: now and register. Sign up for a workshop as well, and you'll get some cool hardware.
0: We'll see you there.
1: Welcome back to Rocks. This is Carl Franklin.
0: And this is Richard Campbell.
1: Uh, Back from London, finally. We had a good time there.
0: Yes, I, we're slipping a few studio shows in amongst all the NDC episodes just yeah. for fun.
1: Just for fun. This you know. this should be a good one. We're going to be talking security and humanitarian efforts and all of that stuff. But first, we have this wonderful little thing called Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs>
0: All right, dude, what do you got? You better know it. You better know. You better know it. Are you channeling your inner Scottish person? Is that no! what that is? Oh, he's sneaking out. That's what happens when we go to the UK, right? I know, yeah, yeah. And I actually popped up to Scotland for a couple of days before the show. So. Yes,
1: don't rub it in.
0: Oh, no, no. I'm not going to write. You don't even want to see what was stuffed in my bag. I, my I,
1: I imagine it was quite heavy, <laughs> it was a little
0: overweight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I found this one, it's trending, um, Passbolt, a password manager your team was waiting for. Hmm. Free, open-source, self-hosted, extensible, open PGP-based. Interesting. It's uh, passbolt.com. And I wondered, why Teams? It says it works with tools your team already uses, such as your email client and chat. So I guess it's a little more focused on on team software but that doesn't mean it has to be right right and some of the other things they brag about that it's open source and free it's extensible by design you can start building on top of the api it's got open security standards like gnupg to authenticate users uh really good tools and well tested and they say it's free as in freedom 100 <laughs> percent open
0: source no strings attached. Yeah. Community edition is. It looks like they're going to have an enterprise edition. At some oh, point well, there so. you go. Yeah, that's it's fine. You that's know, everybody's got to gotta start somewhere. And it's certainly worth uh, taking over. spin. Do you use a password manager? No.
1: I mean, yeah. uh, it's s- essentially um, what I do is I keep a secure document locked yeah. away somewhere. <laughs> That I can easily search when I need to find passwords, and I and I don't actually put the passwords in there. I just put the password hints.
0: Right. So your, the your passwords I remember,
1: and, and I just have a a, a document under a locking key. I, get it. I um, I I've been a little shy, gun shy about that, especially in the light of the uh, hacked uh, password managers and things like that. Yeah, but
0: I'm willing to be talked into it. Yeah, the pa- I I switched over to password manager a number of years ago, and it just wouldn't you know the fact that I simply don't know my passwords, my they're all different, I don't know them. You know, it just takes makes life a whole whole bunch simpler.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I guess until your password manager goes away, and then you're kind of screwed. So yeah,
0: well, if the internet goes away, we're kind of screwed too. Well, there you go. There is that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1470, the one we did with Mr. Barry Dorans, talking about security and ASP.net core. Mm-hmm. I was back at NDC Oslo. Uh, you know, Barry's always slightly, well, he's a security guy, so he's grumpy. And uh, not subdued, really. Not su- no, not a subdued. guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. he, 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 lots of good comments on that show. People were pretty excited. Yeah. And, but I grabbed this particular one. This is from Alex Dresco, who said, by far. The best way to stay up to date with the latest security happenings is the SANS Internet Storm Center podcast. And he provides a link, which I'll put in the show notes. And I've gone and listened to this. They literally put out a daily show, 10, 15 minutes long. That's just like, this is the current set of issues in the security space right now. Wow. So totally, if this is on your mind, if this is what you care about, the fact that you can have a little hit basically every day of where they're at and they actually have a on the website There's sort of a current status level like green yellow red so if there's a major crisis going on you know when when uh when specter and um first came out they were flagged red for a while while they were dealing with that but the moment when we're recording the show anyway which is you know a month before it's gonna be published uh it's green it won't be for long but it is at the moment okay Anyway, it's just I, I thought it was a great resource, and Alex, so, thanks so much for pointing it out to us, because if that's you know on your mind and you want that steady fix, we only hit security subjects every month or so. Right. And uh, these guys are literally tapping it every day. Yeah. Cool. So, Alex, thank you so much for your comment. at .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+, and if you comment there and reread it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin.
1: He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We only read the hashes. <laughs> Trust me, they're safe. They're safe. All right, let's introduce our guests, Cameron Burge and Tarek Dawood. Uh, Cameron, as the Microsoft Philanthropies Humanitarian Response Manager, has the responsibility for coordinating across the company the provision of resources to external agencies Providing humanitarian relief during sudden onset humanitarian disasters. As with others on the team, he also has a portfolio of other engagement areas with nonprofits to include awareness on data privacy and cybersecurity issues. Uh, Tarek Dawood is Principal Program Manager and Architect in the Azure Active Directory Customer Success Team. Tarek works closely with customers who are deploying Azure AD identity scenarios to help them design and implement their solutions. To their employees or consumers, smoothly and securely. He's an 11-year veteran of Microsoft, 10 of them in the identity division. Welcome, guys.
2: Huh. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Now, uh, um, who should we start with, Cameron? I, I guess I, I'd just like to sort of introduce the topic of the show. This is obviously something near and dear to Richard Campbell's heart. But um, how did uh, how did you guys meet? How did how did
2: we get here? You and Richard, I mean. That's a great question. I (laughs) I feel like it was an email in an inbox somewhere. Yeah, well, it all actually
0: starts with our friend Jill Tennant, isn't it? I was at the NetHope conference representing Humanitarian Toolbox, and uh, Jill was there representing Microsoft Philanthropies, along with a bunch of other folks. And, uh, you know, you have a coffee and a conversation. And uh, this particular topic about security and its issues around not-for-profits came up. She says, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to Cameron. And uh, <laughs> then there was an email exchange. And I think, oh, we, had, we even had a chance to have coffee in person, too, because, you know, I'm in Redmond all the time. So I uh, was able to pop down and have a visit. And uh, here we are.
2: Uh, Yeah. And I mean, what we had done out of the team is we had put together some guidance for our nonprofits and it's uh, a paper we released cybersecurity guidance and data privacy um, concerns for nonprofits. And it sort of built on that. And it's part of the awareness that we try to do with our partners um, and help them come up to speed and use our guidance and our knowledge to get them the next steps forward. So how we ended up here.
1: That's very cool. So, um, the humanitarian toolbox, obviously, a big uh, uh, passion of Richard's. So, I'm just going to pass football to you, Richard, and, and <laughs> let you take over this uh, conversation because um, I'm feeling a little like a duck out of water.
0: Well, agreed. Uh, one of the reasons I care about this topic is that we are collecting Contact information for our donors the developers that contribute to our projects You know, there's a lot of conversations to go on and there's a there's a liability tied into that that I don't know that that your average Nonprofit person necessarily thinks about Right Uh, Does that come up with you Cameron? Like are are you sort of reminding them that this is an
2: issue? We are I mean we it comes up throughout the industry, um, we there's and obviously like any industry that are some that are more advanced than others, but it, it definitely is. We're trying to raise awareness to ensure that the leaders um, and managers understand that this is something they need to be aware of and that they, in the end, they're going to hold some responsibility for. I think we've all seen it in a lot of nonprofits and a lot of companies are the same way, where the attitude by some uh, senior managers can be, well, that's an IT issue. I don't need to worry about it. Computers just work. Um, well, it's actually not the case anymore. It, they need to actually understand how they're operating um, and what policies they're following and ensure those policies are meeting both legal standards and the expectations of their donors um, and the liability they have for their beneficiaries so it's part of that whole awareness uh, conversation piece that we're trying to have with them yeah I think there's a couple of angles to this
3: Um, the first one is don't be a stepping stone. What we're seeing in the um, security industry is that hackers try and bash their heads against big enterprise customer security. They're having resistance Mm -hmm. and they try to work their way down the stream. So they will go under against a small nonprofit that's working with a bigger nonprofit that's working with the big enterprise to work their way up by compromising the smaller one, then sending phishing emails from that one to the bigger one to the big enterprise. And so, no nonprofit wants to be on a stepping stone in a, in a hack attack. Um, the other one is, uh, as, as Cameron said, is basically without IT, you still have to ask some of these questions. You have a donor database. Who has access to it? Let's say it's on paper. No tech. Who has access to it? Right. And then you have a management database and people that are sensitive information about people's troubles and life worries and things, the sicknesses and diseases. And things like that. Who has access
0: to it as well, regardless of tech, right? Yeah, it's an interesting angle. It's just a conversation in general. Uh, Do you feel like not-for-profits are targeted sites for hackers, or are they just drive-bys?
2: (laughs) Yeah. It can be both. And I think a lot of it will depend on the operations of the nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Some nonprofits work in very sensitive areas Um, in those areas. The reason they're sensitive is because they're targeted by what you could call malicious actors from a wide spectrum of backgrounds who are going to seek access to that information. I mean, if you are an agency that's providing support to areas in a conflict zone or areas whereby the humanitarian emergency is derived from political instability, then there are groups who are gonna be vulnerable. And yeah, so sure. support for those support for those groups, other actors are gonna to want to know what's going on and have access to that information. Yeah. Freedom of the press,
3: human trafficking, even things that may look very benign. There may be bad actors who doesn't who don't want you to succeed.
0: And and I'm gonna put my naive hat on at this moment and go, well the organizations that work in scary places like that are are advanced and organized and have strong IT teams. Right,
2: <laughs> many do. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of it is. You can also have you have nonprofits that are trying to do the right thing, but sure. a lot of them are subject to the same um, funding issues like anybody else. I mean, yeah. one of the things about the awareness that we're trying to do is actually not just for the nonprofits, but to raise awareness for the donors mm-hmm. that trying to emphasize low operational overhead or not providing money for core infrastructure, you're actually increasing the risk for the agency you're trusting to run very sensitive programs. And they need to be more open to having those conversations with nonprofits to ensure that they're operating uh, with the right tools
1: overall. Yeah, it seems to me it's not just a tools thing, but an education thing. there's everybody who uses technology, everybody who uses email needs to know some things, right? You don't click on attachments from people uh, who send you things that you weren't expecting you know there are there are certain things that uh, you should never do Mm -hmm. Uh, that just make common sense i mean and that's how that's how they get in you know this the pose as your friend or your or your mother or your brother or your sister or aunt and they say i just saw this on the internet thought you might be interested you click on you have no idea what you're clicking on you know and then, of course, when you do get there, something pops up that says, Hey, you have a virus. Uh, click here to clean it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a, that's brilliant. <laughs>
2: I've actually spent quite a number of years in the industry, in the field. And, you know, we you would end up in remote locations and with wonderful uh, national staff who are, I mean, honestly working their butts off. But sometimes the agencies need to sit down to ensure that they have a modern understanding of the tools they're being asked to use and the risk of those tools. And a lot right. of times that can be lacking.
0: I also want to tie it back to the local community charity you know i gotta think there's a certain number of listeners out there software developers you know maybe they work with their community club or their church group or something like that they are also holding on to data while they may not be targeted by black hats they're certainly vulnerable to drive-bys and and they have the same basic data concerns
3: and to your point earlier richard i think the um what people don't understand is that there's actually now a kind of an infrastructure for hackers and bad guys. They, right. There's a, one of the most common password spray tools is like forty-five ninety-nine and it comes with a support. Seriously, with an eight hundred support number. <laughs> and- wow,
2: <laughs> that is so sick.
3: <laughs> so and this is so you don't even have to be it needs to be that you have to be this you know smart cs student who you know knows a bit about hacking or something and now it's so much simpler you actually just order stuff and you, you buy it it comes with the most popular you know password spray list but if you want to upload your own custom one you can give it and it runs it and it gives you which password succeeded which was failed against
2: an endpoint whatever the endpoint i would love to hear wow. reports- That support conversation, yeah. (laughs) What what
0: site are you trying to break into?
2: Uh, (laughs) Let me
1: try. (laughs) Yeah, let's see if I can do it for you. Oh
0: yeah, we're 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 at the we're inches away from hacking as a service. My goodness,
3: I think we're there,
0: man. Yeah,
3: we're there. So they are now starting to basically um, attack both Azure and AWS by simply spinning up their servers there for a while before we can detect that they're bad guys, and they're starting to because we're, st- we're starting to use intelligence in our ability to detect attacks. It's no longer simply, oh, password, you know, we don't have a hard lockout concept in, for example, in most of Microsoft's identity solutions. We actually have a kind of a smart lockout where we kind of detect the pattern to see is this is just a user who has a phone that's got an old password and simply hammering away, or is this a bad guy trying to um, hack into your account? And right. they're starting to now build machine learning um solutions on top of these clouds to run them against our uh, endpoints to basically build their own conclusions about how we are detecting them so we're almost there as a hacking as a service wow
0: yeah no it's you you're you're describing an arms race to me too and you're clearly you know the public cloud providers the azures amazons of the world are gearing up and arming up and getting more sophisticated but it sure sounds like the attackers are
2: too Absolutely. Yeah, and that sort of goes back to the conversation we have with these agencies, which is, I mean, what are your turning to an organization? Like, what are your core competencies? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're not actually an IT oriented organization, then what steps have you taken? Are you, are you using cloud solutions and then relying on somebody who's got more experience on this to handle it and, and keep you secure? Or are you trying to do it all yourself? And right. there's nothing actually wrong with doing it all yourself. But do you have the right skill sets exactly. to ensure that you're doing it correctly? And if you can't answer that last portion, then you really need to look at the first portion.
0: There is an argument to say that every company is now a software company in in one sense. But let's not have that argument this time. Let's just (laughs) because because it's, you know, I I think it's an interesting angle and I'm sure it'll just alienate a certain number of people. Hmm. But there you you're using the Internet. You have computers, your 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 donors and your volunteers and your management all have smartphones. So they're all carrying computers with them all the time. There's a an issue here, one way or the other. And now that we've sufficiently scared everybody, what do we do about it?
1: Yeah, and in particular, I'd like to hear some stories, both of, uh, you know, some attacks that have happened and how uh, people have fought back.
3: We have examples, um, obviously without names, but... Um... So we're putting in some really cool technology. Uh, I think uh, commercially we call it identity protection, for example, in, yeah. on the enterprise side. But it's also actually backing even the consumer side, like you know your Xbox Live account, your Hotmail account, that you don't you don't pay anything for. So we're still trying to protect with the same technology. And um, we have examples. Uh, Alex Weinert, uh, head of identity security in our division, he he gives talks at like. Uh, RSA conference and uh, uh, gray hat conferences um, where he shows an attack on a school, basically where a hacker had uh, was trying to basically password spray the school, and how we were able to immediately distinguish his attempts to log in from the students, and then slowly block him while keeping the uh, The students, so basically, he may be trying the same account that is actually successfully logged in with the same password, but he would get a response that it's failed login, and the kid would be allowed to log in. So it takes a lot of um, smarts to actually get there because it's not simply, all IP detection. It's a combination of things that we call, you know, your login profile. Yeah. But success story because we were able to detect the attack, block it, prevent it, frustrate him to where he stopped and walked
0: away, and then the school was never even aware that this was happening altogether. Well, that is a success. So, you didn't let him know he'd been caught. You let him continue to try, but no password to give was ever going to work.
3: Exactly, yeah, until he gave up. So, basically, and then Love he walked it. on. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I like that approach. It's like not tipping your hand that you've been seen, rather this, go ahead, waste your time. There is no password that's going to work for you. Hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a very interesting game of cat and mouse. So they sure. also have their own detection mechanisms to see, for example, if you return a 404 or a 401 um, as a response, um, are you taking longer on certain 401s than the others? Because right. we try to guess from that that this is maybe an indicator that the username was right but the password was wrong mm-hmm. or that both were wrong. And so, there's a lot of effort we do on our part to also make sure that when we're, when we're bluffing, we're actually responding at what looks like exactly the same time and the same way that we do when we're actually responding correctly. It's a very sophisticated game.
1: Um, guys, hold that thought for a minute while we take a moment to hear this very important message. We've all come to expect that distributed databases can't be both globally consistent and scalable. But what if you didn't have to make trade-offs? What if you could have a fully-managed database service that's consistent, scales horizontally across data centers, and speaks SQL? Introducing Cloud Spanner, a mission-critical, relational database service from Google Cloud Platform, built from the ground up and battle-tested at Google for strong consistency, and high availability at a global scale. Learn more about Cloud Spanner online at g.co/getspanner. That's g.co/getspanner. And we're back. It's.NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell talking to Cameron Burge and Tarek Dawood about uh, security, in particular what they're doing about uh, managing uh, break-ins and hackers in nonprofits. And uh, not just nonprofits, but this sounds like uh, you guys have got some good strategies for dealing with all kinds of of uh, of attacks.
2: Well, I mean, it, it's not really strategies. It's, I mean, there are some overall steps that we we are advocating for that nonprofits and other humanitarian organizations should be taking, and actually, just industries and everybody should be taking in general. Yeah. Um, and sort of like, there's five key areas that we highlight, and you'll notice none of them are actually about using a specific technology. It's about actually your practices and your policies. Yeah. Okay. And like the first one is like, don't create your own standards. This work has been done.
0: Yeah. Known problem.
2: Um, known problem. I mean, we, we advocate, we, well, the message we're giving out is the use of the NIST framework. Uh, and what that allows you to do in that framework, which is a U.S. framework, um, but it works around the world, it, all it is is it sits down and has you walk through what's important to you, where your respons- responsibilities are, have you self-identify your weaknesses, and then try to figure out what... What order you need to go in to start addressing because you can't fix everything all at once. Nobody has the resources and time for that. And we know that. And not everything is necessarily the highest risk. So it's about help you walk through and be a guide and be a reference you turn to later on. And and that's like step one um, that we advocate for. And like the next one is again partner up, join coalitions. Um, we are where we there's a nonprofit. We know that they ended up having an unfortunate uh, cyber intrusion. It took them months. Actually, to go ahead and remove the intrusion off their network in the process, though, they actually ended up having a relationship with a security firm um, and they wish they had had the relationship before. And the right. firm was great, and really helped them walk through. And they later figured out and the advice they started giving to others in the coalition was hire a partner with hours, guaranteed hours to do one of two things. Either one, if you have an incident, they're already on contract to come help you out immediately uh, bring in professionals and if you don't have an incident they'll help you with your rehearsals like so how do we practice a, a future event so uh, join up with those out there and learn the lessons from others um, and those, and those are the first two right there
0: and hey, I, I not to play on the nonprofit side but do you find that these firms are are willing to at least make a discount for someone that's uh, that's in the charitable configuration or is that even relevant?
2: Um, we definitely have seen that. I mean, even our partners um, that we work with and helping other agencies to uh, help other agencies support nonprofits. Yes. And that is definitely part of the conversation. And, and right. that's been seen. And it, but it all depends on the company. So you can't I can't.
0: They have to make a living, too. Right. Like they, it's, exactly. it's they totally do have to fair. make a living. Yeah. yeah it's not, and it's not like this stuff is easy or free.
2: Right. Uh, and they will help with, with our third point, which is actually train employees, which right. can be one of the hardest ones. And there's a great story. It wasn't a nonprofit story, but one that was told to me here, which was fantastic. And it was quite a large company. Uh, and what they did was they were teaching about phishing. And if they had taught about phishing and then they sent out their own fake phishing emails. And if you clicked on it, Well, your name was noted and you had to do, uh, you had to receive a one hour training. Right. Uh, And later on, if you failed a second time, you had to do the training again and then take a test. If you failed a third time, the CEO called you personally. Wow. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Let's not get there. Yeah. I had, <laughs> I
2: had a customer who had
3: an, an employee who clicked on six links in the <laughs> in oh email. Oh, my He <laughs> wow. like or she needed a call from the CEO. <laughs> 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 a,
2: what are you doing? I mean, exactly, but the takeaway is, in in these agencies as well, because the nonprofit industry and, and humanitarian agencies, they do have a lot of staff turnover, and that's sure. just the nature of it. You depend on when they get grants, or depend on the projects they're working on, and so awareness has to be more than just a PowerPoint presentation when you sign up with your new contract. It is something that has to be, you know, tested and. Re emphasize and ensuring that managers emphasize, and that's the biggest thing is the habits of the managers because the staff are going to copy what they do. Are right. they going to be in the right way and presenting the right messages? So,
3: yeah, and it starts with like even deeper, basic conversations around is there a shared password or the shared account that everybody's using to hit the case uh-huh. management system? You want to break these things because you want to know who accessed the system at what time and who made that change. And these, again, these are non tech conversations. Yeah, flat like pen and paper, who you would Would you have wanted to know who's making the changes? And so um, having these conversations, and I think there's also like basic postures about, for example, um, your privileged accounts, the things that set up your, let's say your completely cloud presence. And um, we're not even going to stick to Microsoft tech, so Office 365, Google Apps, whatever you're using to just establish your basic collaboration software, like email and things like that. The people who set up this, the privileged accounts, you should have multi-factor authentication on all of them. That's just the period. Yeah. So even though I'm talking about all this advanced, uh, intelligent stuff, there's a way simpler, way before that. There are very simple steps you can take on a very basic level to protect. These are the, you know, the root admins, the guys who can set things yeah. up. These are kind of have to be protected. It cannot be just a password between the bad guy and the th- and the
0: thing. It's a very common conversation on on my the other show on Run As Radio, the IT show. This whole just enough administration. And, you know, rule number one is as an admin, you know, thou shalt not web surf using an administrator (laughs) account. You have a domain account like everybody else. You use it. Wow. Good. Exactly. And they granularize the administrator account. So there's no super account that anybody uses anymore. It's like, are you, you know, running, working on the file servers? There's a file server administrator account. Like that granularization so that you're only in those accounts to do the specific things you need to do and then get out. And, uh, you know, just so that they, and you're right, all that two-factor stuff. It's like this account is used intentionally. It's also heavily scrutinized. Like part of our responsibility on the security side is like, who is in admin accounts? How long were they in admin accounts? Why were they in admin accounts? It's only for administrative work. And
3: know where your audit logs are. So yeah. do you even know, I mean, can you get to them in the UI of whatever service you're using to even check and see who's making changes? We just had a case yesterday, a customer who discovered they were being breached by the, virtue of the fact that their cloud audit logs showed that one of their on-premises service accounts was logging into the cloud. Interesting. Huh. That's how they discovered the whole breach, basically. They were breached on-prem, not in the cloud. But the way they found out is that that guy started roaming in the cloud with that service account he had on-prem.
2: Huh. And they were able to take actions in that amount.
0: Yeah, kind of yeah that's that's sort of the flag.
3: On-prem, it's a big deal because once they found out they were breached on-prem, they discovered that they have to blow up their whole AD, basically. You have to read, wow. structure AD. Ah, the cloud was easier to mitigate.
0: And you, and you, I think you mentioned a really valid thing here, Tarek, which is not like a sign pops out of your server when you get hacked. It goes, ha ha. Actually figuring out that you've been hacked is not a trivial problem. Yeah. Yep.
3: The average hacker stays and it's in the white paper. The yep. 140 days. on average. Wow.
0: Before detection.
3: Before detection. Yes. That's yes. down from two seventy two years ago. <laughs> it's actually now down to half, but still
2: that's a lot of months, right? And then even after detection, it takes you it'll take you months to recover.
0: Sure. But it, you know, you should when you see something suspicious like that account misuse, you gotta understand it's probably been going on for months before you finally saw it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's
3: why when you hire these firms, after the fact, they come in and the first thing they try to do, they may not actually tip their hat or um, let the bad guy know that they're in. They just, because they want to know how far has he been moving or she's been moving around? Are right. they, they've been around here for a while. What servers have they been into? And so yeah. they have to actually watch for a little bit before they actually start blowing things up.
0: Yeah. They, and of course, your reflex is to immediately lock everything down, but then Which you
2: yeah. have to operate. You have to still yeah. exist. You still have business operations going on.
0: Yeah, you you can't get to do that.
2: And it's sort of it's part of also I mean, the last two points that we emphasize with nonprofits. I mean, that's the resilience point, like Tarek was talking about. So, I mean what are you going to do if this does happen? Do you have the capacity to actually recover operations? If somebody has brought in the famous USB drive from their friend in the field and plugged it into your network, are you going to be able to recover uh, from that? And then also an area that is growing is the insurance area. So the, the thing about getting yourself insurance over such a thing it is two things. One, provides you a little financial air cover if you right. need it to help recover your business operations. And two, you end up being accountable for regular inspections and reporting. Like yeah. it is sort of an audit to ensure that you are doing the right things. They are going to ask you, who's your partner to help you with this? Where is your expertise in this? And it does sort of force you for that accountability while oh. also at the same time, giving you access to some support, if the worst does happen.
0: I, I think the GDPR rules that are coming this year are going to help with getting budget around stuff like insurance because they are talking serious fines for breaches.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Serious fines for breaches and also senior management has to present uh, their, their compliance before the breach and their awareness of the compliance. Mm, right. Yeah. You have requirements to notify
3: once you are aware of a breach within a certain number of days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yes.
1: It's time to announce a new product to help you hack biometric fingerprint readers. It's called the X-Hackto Knife. Oh, no. It's very effective, but the setup process can be a bit uh, difficult. Bloody? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I saw that in a movie somewhere anyway. Easier to do with gummy bears. <laughs> no, it's true. You could dig. you heat up a gummy you're bear not so nice and You're supposed to give away pressed. those secrets, Richard. <laughs> no. They did it on Mythbusters. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Gummy
1: bears. It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM, and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ivan Vasilevich. Oh, congratulations, Ivan. Yes, are those the clappers? The clappers.
0: Ah, I heard the clappers. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I had a I had a pair of those in my bag, so you know when we're out in the field, like in London, when we were in London, we could have been using clappers. But you know, it's so much better to get a round of applause.
0: Yeah, no, you know? I totally agree. Especially when we when we're on stage and you can have several hundred people applauding for someone. Yeah, that. that
1: that winner <laughs> probably felt really lucky.
0: Yeah, no question. Well, they will because it's the next show after this one. Yeah. He said, time shifting like crazy. Yeah, he said, <laughs> well,
1: Ivan just won the D Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, guys. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Cameron?
2: Uh, That is a great question. If I had $5,000, I know what I would get. I'd give myself the Surface Hub. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, you yeah. can spend a lot more than five grand on a surface hub. You get that eighty-inch version. I think it's twenty. Yes, you guys might uh, get an yeah. employee discount.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's what I'd be relying on.
0: <laughs> but there, I think there is. It's, see, it's the small one's like fifty-five uh, inches. I, I've contemplated that because it's just like a. It's like the ultimate projector. It's mm. such a good gizmo.
2: They're just. Beautiful and fun, and They're gorgeous. we don't have access to them as, as, as my team, so we do look at them on some other desk and be like, wow.
0: Well, they've been sold out for years now. Like, they, they just, they can't make them fast enough. Wow. This is one of those products that Microsoft barely ever talks about because they literally can't make enough of them.
3: <laughs> yeah, this <it's> stuff
0: <laughs> I, I played with the 85 inch at uh, Tim Huckabee's place at Internetology. It's like, I like a screen that you literally cannot get your arms around. It's so, and, you know, and, then he, and then he kicked it into 1080p mode, and the icons are the size of my head. So, and I got a big head. How about you, Tarek? Um, I don't know, Xbox One and then Pocket the Rest.
3: <laughs> you know, oh,
0: okay. 1S, I presume, right? The full 4K edition. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we did have a winner a couple of years ago who built out a full dev machine for building stuff for Xbox that included the Xbox and all the paraphernalia. It's always, it's interesting. You know, we are indulgent when we just like, Hey, if you had five grand, what would you do? But when you actually confront the winner with the money, they're so practical.
3: Sure.
1: Yeah, you
0: know, they, they build new dev machines, but always different. Like focused on on mobile development or focused on. The
1: last guy got a lot of monitors. Though. Yeah,
0: no, I I super appreciate it. That's a theme of mine, right? Yeah. It's like, look, you use that monitor every day. Get a good one. And it's not
1: something that you typically splurge on yourself. You know, you say, ah, I can make do with this cheaper one, whatever. Yeah.
0: I yeah. and I completely disagree with that. Spend money on your keyboard. Spend money on your mouse. Spend money on your monitor. I and agree. Sp- and spend money on your Wi-Fi router because you use it. Every every day and buy some roses for your spouse
1: (laughs) (laughs) There Uh, there Tarek I understand that you have some great stories about fixing security
3: um sure um we have uh examples of um customers who were breached um on-premises who were able to get back to being operational because we have um, solutions. For example, uh, most people get to Office 365 uh, with a, either cloud accounts or on-premises accounts. Right. On-premises <laughs> accounts, you have a few options. You can actually use a federation server so that the authentication comes down to on-premises and then you authenticate, and then you go back to the cloud. Or you can synchronize your password hashes, not your passwords, your password hashes, because yeah. everybody freaks about yeah, all oh, well, my passwords are in the clear text. No, they're not. A hash is a one way mathematical operation. So, But um, with this one customer specifically, um, they were um, um, attacked by the WannaCry, Pitya, uh, ransomware stuff oh, uh, yeah. in the summer. And they were completely debilitated. Um, they were telling us these horror stories about how they're sitting in the IT operation center, and the screens are just all the screens they're looking at are all going to turn black, 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 with the um, thing popping up in front of them. That, those are the machines they're trying to use to look after all the other machines. Wow! Um, and because they were using the password hashing technology. Within the first two days, they were able to simply switch the cloud authentication from the federation server to the cloud so that at least all their collaboration software, Exchange, SharePoint, they can still continue to function just fine. And while they worked on, okay, let's nuke AD and start over and new domain controllers or let's restore from backup. And that that process takes a good week wow. just to get back to where you have your core servers up and running your file servers and so on. Uh, another customer who didn't have that for that same week, they were basically using Yahoo emails and Hotmail and Gmail because they had no collaboration infrastructure, right? They couldn't authenticate to their own email, so they had to basically go use personal email, like, I'm going to WhatsApp you this information. Yeah. Uh, big difference.
0: Yeah, no, huge huge difference between between the two, and it's, it's interesting to see what gets exploited and what doesn't in that particular scenario. Now, with WannaCry, it's an outage. Like you find out your attack because you're broken. Just briefly tell us about that. Wanna cry? Um, so
3: it was ransomware that was basically. Um, it was. I mean, it was actually, actually came out uh, a few weeks ago that it was designed actually to attack some. Um, accounting popular accounting uh, software in Ukraine, but of course, as with these things, once they are on the wild, just like normal viruses and diseases, they just go everywhere. And so, um, it showed up in the UK very heavily, and it brought down part of the health system. Actually, it, it crippled the hospital, several hospitals actually, mm. uh, because the thing, the now malware itself, once it gets to a computer, tries to um, get to root level access, kernel level access, and then encrypts your drive and then pops up a ransom message that says, you know, if you want this content, pay this much. Um, And it does that and it was just very irreverent and just very um, crazy that actually it typically wanted to target end-user or consumer PCs, but it was actually moving all across the network that was basically doing this to your file servers, your <laughs> print servers, everything. It yeah. was just running wild, yeah. and domain control. If it landed anything, it would just lock it up and pop up that link. And so um, that just became very debilitating for a couple of our customers, uh, and we had to work very close with the cybersecurity team to actually help them get back on their feet. A lot of those things resolve themselves by the people just giving in and paying the money. How did uh, How did you guys undo it? Most of the big enterprises, they did not pay the money. I mean, maybe individuals did, but most of the big enterprises, what they had to do is basically, um, you go first of all, you find, and if you're doing proper AD backup, then there's a copy of your domain controller a few days old that it doesn't, so you bring that back up, first of all, so that you don't have to um, reestablish accounts for your users with new passwords and new everything from scratch, and then teach everybody the new credentials. That's a yeah. big hit. Sure. So once you can restore your AD backup, then you start bringing your file servers from clean, again, one by one by one. If you had backups of those, good, then you can restore the data there, again, a few days old. But the whole key point is identifying when you were first infected. Exactly. Now, the good thing about this one, because it was such a bad ransomware, you knew when you got first infected because it didn't give you any time. It yeah. was just running crazy. So, um, But yeah, a more subtle attack, you would have a harder time figuring out the point in time where the ransomware was on your network. And those things how
1: was that spread? It was spread
3: by email. I think the first, yeah, the first, the first attack would come through a phishing attack with an attachment or right. a link that you click on and install it on your
0: machine. But yeah. then it spread horizontally through the LAN very quickly. Yeah, it's interesting how those initial breaches happen. Like they're, and they're quite intelligently targeted these days. It seems like they, there are good lists of real email addresses of senior people in organizations so that you're not just randomly bombing emails. You, you you tend to get it sent to the right person from the right person so that they, they click on it.
2: I mean, the issue is, is, and it happens, especially some of the larger ones and. We've heard the stories, but you'll have hack teams that have decided to target you and they, they will use, they, they'll have social analysis being done on the keys in your right. staff. And they will be looking at your public persona and then that way they'll know your kids' Whoa. names and then that way the links are about pictures right. of something relevant that looks like it's from a friend of yours. So they're sitting there and they're working on your profile to ensure that they're targeting you specifically when they have decided to go after an organization.
1: Are there services out there that you can forward suspicious emails to and say, is this a phishing attack or not?
2: It,
3: there are. And we have our own office uh, product our group has the ATP, Advanced Threat Protection, which will, what it does, it will detonate when you're getting an attachment in an email. It will actually spin up a quick VM Open, you know, open Outlook there, open the attachment there, see what actually happens. And then if it feels that it's safe, it will let it through. If it looks like suspicious or malicious, it will hold the attachment. All of this dynamically, like without you even being
0: aware of it. Right. So it doesn't
2: even end up in your inbox if it's detonated and doesn't like the attachment.
0: Wow. That's very smart. That's that's an Azure service?
2: It's a, an
3: Office
0: uh, yeah. offering, uh, an Office 365. Uh, oh, the it's the RG Advanced Threat EFA. Protection, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: A little bit more on the IT side, but it's like you can be you can be using Exchange Online or even Exchange on premise, and you can be using advanced threat protection, and it does stuff like that for you, right? Yep. Uh, what about these more? You know, we we mentioned a scenario where you notice an account being misused, and that's the beginning of sort of unraveling uh, a, a hack that has literally gone on for months. Like, what is the correct? sort of process or can you walk us through a scenario that you've been through to clean that up
3: the first thing as cameron mentioned is you got a cybersecurity firm and they do forensics first right. you have to understand how
0: wide the attack and this is this just one guy who got lucky i got to think you're still at a point where you're saying is this an attack
3: but more importantly, how far, what is the attack? So right. for example, i'm I worked with a customer who was compromised. The bad guys got in um, through a regular uh, typically uh, external account. That a lot of customers, what they do is they create external, create AD accounts for external people who are coming in to do work with them, like vendors and contractors. And in this case, this person came through that, uh, got through the VPN because the VPN did not have MFA on it, so it was just using a password, came in um, and then elevated to domain admin and then elevated to enterprise admin. But that person was trying to go to the um, credit card information. Right. So that person was not trying to debilitate the company. They were just trying to get to the credit card. They were trying to steal like the target hack, for example.
0: And his, and his goal being that you never knew he was there. He's got the credit card information and he's gone.
3: Exactly. Uh. In this case, he's so subtle. And just because he made some mistake where he triggered something on inside the credit card system before he got to the data, where they were able to see that. And then they had to wait, le- leave him there and hire the security firm, got the security firm in to look and watch for a bit more to see what is he trying to do? Because at that point, all the news that someone has an enterprise admin creds in their AD and is running around. So that's got to be so
0: creepy. feeling.
3: Exactly. Yep. But it's necessary because if you're going to... Once you decide I'm going to stop them, you have to know what are you going to stop? Are you going to just blow up AD? Are you just going to delete an account? What, what is it that you're trying to do? How many other credentials do they have? Yeah. Because the whole key point is I could kill the enterprise admin account that they're using, but they may have a domain admin and then they come back again after a little bit. Right. And so you right. have to know everything that they have. If you're going to show your cards, if once, you may, once you show your hand, you have to actually be pretty certain you have a good handle on what they have.
0: Right.
2: So I mean, Takeaway from Tarek is you, you need to have that competency in house that has the capacity to do that. If you sit down and acknowledge you don't have that competency, then you need to have a relationship with somebody who does.
0: Right. Absolutely. And that person's not going to immediately slam the door. They're going to watch for a while to make sure they know what doors are open. Yep. That's very typical. Yeah, it's got, to, it's got to be agonizing, right? To, to just know that that's going on.
3: And one thing I wanted to mention, especially for developers, since the audience, uh, a lot of the audience is developers, is yes. Um, you guys often write software for nonprofits. Uh, mm-hmm. I volunteer a nonprofit myself. Our website is developed by a single helpful guy who's just doing it for us for free. Nice. Uh, but um, understand that you're also part of the security question and the security answer out of the security problem, which is. Um, Uh, For small things like, uh, for example, the credentials that are used for the DNS registry, just the registrar that has your www.nonprofit.org. Yeah. um, You set it up for them. What do you have MFA there, multi-factor authentication, or is it just using a password? For those who are not aware, one of the um, Bitcoin alternatives, Ethereum, was compromised because not from uh, an attack on their servers or a DDoS or anything, the hacker was able to take over the DNS account and then he just redirected all the traffic to his site instead of so very subtle didn't come anywhere near the infrastructure he just went for the account that has the DNS registry. Wow.
0: Um.
3: So you have to basically as a developer to think about this whole pipe the DNS records where are they the website the infrastructure that's hosting the website what is it. Um and keep an eye on the vulnerabilities of your stack. There's no perfect stack. All stacks get compromised and hit. And if you write something for someone using Apache version, whatever, IIS version, whatever, keep an eye on the, the vulnerabilities and keep them patched. Don't leave them with something that's, you know, five years old running on the web because that makes them leaves them very exposed.
2: And it goes back to also the, the managers of the nonprofits. When you actually have these volunteers and they're motivated and they're excited, that's great. What are they building for you? And are you, as a senior manager, aware of possible risks that this work can expose you to? So have you taken the steps to mitigate it? Are you ensuring that volunteers' work doesn't leave you more exposed?
0: Sure. As, gen- as generous as it might be. Uh, is the OWASP list still relevant in this equation? The OWASP what list? Yeah, the OWASP top 10 application security risks. OWASP, oh, O-W-A-S. Yeah. O-W-A-S. yeah. Freshly, you know, refreshed for 2017. Number one, still, still sequel injection. Yeah
2: yeah,
3: so those are still there. yes, absolutely. And of course, it's a good question to ask as a person who's hiring a developer, if he's aware of those, does can he can he tell you what is the the S and strike or the D right? Uh, yeah. The strike model for, for security. like are, are they able to kind of if they're not aware of any of that stuff, you might want to worry or you might want to have somebody or you hire or you
0: get somebody to oversee what they're doing. Sure. I don't need every dev to be a security expert, but I do need a security yeah. expert around to at least, you know, have some oversight.
3: And this is a call out also to um, folks in the um, security field or close to the security field. Um, nonprofits can help with, can, can, can use your help if you can volunteer to help them look at their stuff, to um,
0: evaluate their position and so forth. There's a lot of need out there. Yeah, no, I, I I gotta agree with you. Like it's it's a constant thing. And you know, I, I humanitarian toolbox has the distinct advantage of being tied to to.net rocks and having guys like Barry Darns and Troy Hunt and other great security folks that are willing to donate their time to look at our stuff and tell us how we screwed it up. Yeah. Yep.
1: So uh last week we published a show with Scott Guthrie. He was talking about a really cool button on the Azure portal that you could push and it sort of does all this Analysis and comes up with this list of things that you should be doing. Um, yeah. are there, are there security, uh, checkpoints in there too, uh, in Azure that you can just say, Hey, look at my websites, look at all of my, my code and tell me if I'm, uh, exposing myself.
3: There is, um, the Azure Security Center in the portal, and that looks at all your, um, IaaS paths that you're running and kind of tells you best practices. There is a paid layer of Azure Security Center, Azure Security ATP, Advanced Threat Protection, which does more. Right. But at least do the basics. Yeah, and this is actually part of something, again, you're a developer, you're writing something on Azure for a nonprofit. Do the basics. For example, is your own account that logs in there, is it uh multi factor authenticated? Are you right. doing are you using Azure RBAC? To uh, limit the access. For example, if you're a VM owner, um, you don't need to be a VM owner just to get logs. You can be a VM reader. You don't have to be an owner. So make sure it's using least privilege. Mm. Uh, the third thing, for example, is this is stuff we learn in Microsoft because we run services is you should get You should have a process by which you push out the logs from your production machines to somewhere else where you look at them don't make it such that whenever time you, every time you want to look at the logs you have to t- ts into the machine you're just because you're, you're logged into an actual production machine. At some point, if you if you screw something up, you can actually bring down the service. What you should do is push out your logs outside yeah. and look at your logs somewhere yeah. else. And so have these best practices. These are not something just for you know superpower software companies that are making big cloud services. You should have these practices even for small websites. Mm. They're they're good things to do.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Very good. Guys, thanks. It's been an enlightening hour. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been great. All right, Cameron, Tarek, thanks again. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, And produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time.